HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Castor and Pollux, maker of America's number one organic pet food, Organics. Look for their newest line, Pristine, the only complete line of pet food made with responsibly sourced ingredients. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org slash pets. My name is Hannah Forden. I'm the membership coordinator at Heritage Radio Network, but even before I joined the team, I loved listening to HRN during my subway commute. It made the time go quickly and left me feeling inspired for the day ahead. HRN listeners tune in from all over the world, but there are a few traits that we all have in common, no matter where we listen from. A curious palate, the fierceness to make a difference, and a hunger for lifelong learning about the culinary world. As you know, Heritage Radio Network is a listener-supported nonprofit. To deliver the most ambitious, entertaining, and of-the-moment stories in 2018, we need your help. We need to raise $150,000 by December 31st to accomplish these goals and to keep your favorite shows on the air. Together, we can make this HRN's most exciting, impactful, and delicious year yet. No matter how much you choose to give, you'll feel awesome next time you tune in, knowing that we wouldn't be here without you. Become a member by donating today. Join us at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate, and you'll immediately start enjoying benefits such as VIP invitations to HRN events, where you will mix and mingle with your favorite hosts. Plus, we have great member swag. Show off your HRN pride with a t-shirt or keep your hands safe in the kitchen with an HRN potholder. Memberships also make a perfect holiday gift for all the foodies in your life. This year, why not give the gift of food radio? You'll hear your generosity in action for the year to come. Help keep our lights on and our mics hot by pledging your support today at heritageradionetwork.org donate. Thanks for listening. Welcome to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum from the Brooklyn Kitchen. Join me every Wednesday as I talk with people about what they do and how it influences their personal food stories. This is a show about people, life, and food. And today it's about hot sauce. Today's episode 91 of Feast Your Ears, and I'm joined in the studio by King Fajanakong and Dan Fitzgerald from 
Bronx hot sauce. Um, King is the chef behind a number of Filipino restaurants here in New York, including Kuma Inn at 113 Ludlow Street. It's on the second floor, so if you go to 113 Ludlow and you're looking for it, you got to go upstairs. Uh, and King's also the creator of Bronx Hot Sauce, which is what brings King and Dan onto the show today. Bronx Hot Sauce has an incredible story, and we'll get into that shortly. Thanks for coming on the show, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Harry. Thanks so much for having us. So uh, I want to jump uh, kind of, I guess right in to, uh, to uh, Bronx Hot Sauce. Um, you know, how did King tell me about Bronx Hot Sauce and how it got started? Sure. Uh, so uh, it's kind of funny. Well, I started it with a, a friend of mine, John Crotty, and uh, we know, we've known each other since we were about three years old. Grew up in Stytown here in the city. And uh, John and I went to nursery school and uh, stayed in touch throughout the years. And uh, fast forward to uh, when we... Grown, grew up to be adults. <laughs> John's <laughs> running a, um, a housing group in the Bronx, and uh, I'm a cook, a chef. And uh, so John was, uh, he picked up a number of properties in the Bronx, and uh, they had some empty lots, and they were trying to figure out what they could do with the lots, something su- sustainable maybe for the community. So we thought about uh, putting in community gardens and having people grow things and maybe sell them and maybe having a restaurant there and using the food. Uh, that we, you know, grew in the garden, kind of use that for the restaurant, sustain it. But then, you know, reality kicked in. We live in, we live in New York City, uh, right. maybe three, four months of a growing season per year. Yeah. Not you the know, best place for farms. Not the best place, you know, and how many, like, onions are you going to grow and cucumbers? And yeah. <laughs> you know, we'll have, like, one or two good nights and then we're done. Yeah. So uh, we're trying to figure out, you know, what, what could last longer, what's more sustainable. And then, uh, you know, we put our thinking caps on and came up with a uh, hot sauce. Yeah. And it's shelf-stable. Um and it's easy, you know, we could grow the peppers and, and kind of uh, bottle it and hold it on the side. And that's exactly what we did. Yeah. So the first uh, season we did it, we, we were kind of, uh, we took our idea to uh, Cornell up in um, Geneva, New York, and try to pick their brains a little bit to find out what was the, the best growing pepper to grow here in, right. in our climate. And uh, someone suggested growing Serrano peppers. They say it's great for the, the climate here in the Northeast. And, and I kind of, you know, we went with that. So uh, once we had Serrano's in mind, then I started, you know, the wheels start, started turning and I came up with a couple of recipes and uh, we're like, great. And then we went to them. So we're like, all right, we're, we're all set. Let, let, let's do this. And this was February and uh, February, like three years ago. And then they said, OK, great. You'll be set for next year. And we're like, no, no, we, we want to do it this year. And they're like, oh, well, it's too late. You have to contact farmers. You know, you, you, you know, you can't just grow peppers and make the hot sauce. Right. You, you got to get more people involved. We're like, why not? Why, what do you mean we can't do that? So we were we were kind of like you know shot down. We're like, geez, another year we gotta wait. And that evening, uh, in some in Geneva is a really small town, so we stayed at a local hotel. And there's one bar open across the street. You know, well, let's go to the bar, have a beer or something. Figure some, you know figure out what we're gonna do next. We go to the bar. There's nobody there. It's like 20 degrees outside. <laughs> uh, the bartender welcomes us in, who's also the proprietor. And um, he's like, hey, what are you guys up to? We're like, oh, you know, we were just at Cornell talking about hot peppers. He's like, oh, really? He goes, I love hot peppers. He goes, uh, I make hot sauce and I grow peppers in the back. We're like, get out of here. And, and next thing you know, we're sitting down tasting his hot sauce and growing peppers. And we were just like, you know, we had like an epiphany. And we said, you know what? No, we have to push it. We, we have to get it done this year. And we did. We, uh, we came back and... Uh, we gave uh, pepper seeds to a few gardens in the Bronx, and uh, we started growing, or they started growing, and we took the peppers back, and, and we made the hot sauce. I mean, it's it's such a, 
it's a great cycle, right? I mean, the, the story, oh, the story is, the story is awesome. And I, I love the, I love the genesis of it. I love that you guys could have been super dejected and just driven back to New York that night. And probably the whole thing would have died, right? Like, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we were, I mean, talk about like not feeling good. Yeah. <laughs> we walked out of there like with our heads down. We're like, oh, thanks a lot. You're like another year. Yeah. Shit. <laughs> so, um, no, it's great. And, and I mean, peppers do grow really well in this climate. I yes. mean, I know that it's, you know, it's one of the things that the Eagle Street rooftop farm and the Brooklyn Grange, they make their own hot sauce because it's hard, you know, growing on, on the roof, especially, you know, everybody wants tomatoes, everyone wants fresh right. tomatoes, but like they're really intensive to grow. And even in a community garden setting, they're intensive to grow. And as you point out, you know, in one sitting, when tomatoes are really good, you can eat like four or five tomatoes. Yeah, You're not going to eat four or five hot peppers in right. one sitting, most likely, right? Most so likely, you, yeah. you get a lot more bang for your buck out of making it a hot sauce, and then you really have it preserved, right? Yes. Uh, and, and it started off actually with just uh, one or two gardens, maybe. It was very small. And then uh, every season, it's just been getting bigger and bigger. I think last last year, what did we get down? 3,000 pounds or we something? We got 3,000 pounds in the Bronx. 3,000 pounds. And we um, have about 40 gardens signed up as well. And one of the things that we've been incredibly lucky about is the grassroots support that we've had from the local Bronx gardeners. These were networks of community gardens that existed before the Bronx hot sauce, but there was no real unifying product that kind of brought all the different gardens together and the social justice missions that they had and kind of unified them to a common cause. So this year we're pretty excited because we're actually forming a Bronx pepper growing co-op with them. Oh, wow, that's and so it's going to, they all have not-for-profits that are associated with them, but they're actually going to take it to the next step and kind of give out shares for all the gardens that grow Serrano peppers for the Bronx hot sauce so they can have kind of an ownership structure of the pepper growing. So we're super excited about that. Because we found when we started the Bronx Hot Sauce that people were doing great things in the Bronx. They were doing great things in urban gardens and community farms, but people did not necessarily know about them. And they didn't even really know about each other because of the way that transportation works in the Bronx, with the highways, with the subways, with everything like this. And so it's been so exciting for the last three years or so to kind of tap into the social justice aspect of these community gardens, which is really nexus points of the entire neighborhood. So I want to I want to give everybody uh, who's listening a, a, a better understanding because we all know how the Bronx hot sauce works. So you give seeds or seedlings to the gardeners with the promise that you'll buy the product, right? Yes. I mean yes. that's that to me is like the real crux of why this is so. It's it makes so much sense from an economic standpoint, and it makes sense obviously for you guys. The company's been growing. You've just released a third flavor um, for the company. You won a good food award last year, so the sauce is really good. But also, it's really you know it's a really nice uh, way to understand that business can really help people, and that people in the local area can help the business because you're not having to buy Serrano peppers from some faceless farm in right. fact you're you know all the farms right they're just they happen to be in the bronx yes and, and that even that's what makes it even i think a, a better sauce too is that we know the farmers personally and, and we're on the farms with them and everybody such everybody has such a unique story to share and uh, really when you talk about how food brings everybody together this is really one of those fine examples of just people from all different walks of life from 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 refugees to to uh kids trying to you know stay out of trouble to people doing it as a hobby and and it's just bringing everybody together well and i mean well into the 19th century the bronx was the source of a lot of food for the city right i mean a lot of the bronx was farms um until they started to run the trains and the subways 
that mm-hmm. far north. So, I mean, I feel like that's a really nice sort of return to saying, okay, there is still some open land. Oh, yes. And people are growing stuff. I have at home, um, I did a, a, a class for a, um, a community garden here in Brooklyn last year. And a woman came from the Bronx, traveled from the Bronx by subway to come to it. And she brought me a lemongrass plant because she grows lemongrass in her community mm-hmm. garden plot in the Bronx. And so I have it in a pot on my deck. And it was so, I mean, it was so nice. It was like the night, you know, and it grows really well. And I had, I had no idea lemongrass would grow in this climate. Oh, yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So tell me about the, the new sauce. It's the Queen 7. Yes. Yeah, so the Queen 7, it's, uh, so with the Bronx hot sauce, it's, uh, we, we use serrano peppers for that. Uh, Queen 7, uh, change up the recipe a little bit. I have jalapenos in there. And then there's fish sauce in there and tomatoes. So um, just, you know, I'm just looking for a totally different uh, flavor profile. And it, it kind of reflects also Queens, how diverse Queens is. Yeah, you know, for sure. And it kind of, I think a, a little bit of that hot sauce kind of reaches everybody in that neighborhood and in that, in that borough. And, and people can identify with it. Yeah. And then are you planning to do the other boroughs? Are we going to see a Brooklyn? Are we going to see a Manhattan? Yeah. I mean, that's the goal. We're, we're trying to do the boroughs and we're even looking into other cities, which I think Daniel's uh, looking into now. Yeah. We have about seven cities lined up for next year that have urban farm communities everywhere from San Diego to uh, Salt Lake City to Charlottesville to Seattle. And we're trying to think of ways that we can kind of tie all of these cities that have very urban farming and vibrant urban farming communities into kind of some sort of national growers collective of a voice that has one common goal, which is to say increasing urban farms and community gardens, because it's a triple bottom line, we always say. It's not just ecological, that you're growing food closer to where people consume it, so it saves on greenhouse gases. It's not just environmental, it's also um, social that has a social component to it, which really I think a lot of people don't realize when they taste the Bronx hot sauce and Queens hot sauce, that we have so many different farmers, each with their own goals and missions. For example, in the Queens sauce, there's a farm in Flushing that's run by survivors of domestic violence. There are Korean women who have overcome uh, kind of very conservative, abusive households, and you have no idea how much a little plot that is their own, gives them confidence, gives them strength, and gives them empowerment. And so even though they only managed to grow 10 pounds of peppers in a tiny little yard in the back of a flushing house, Mm. they are such strong supporters of it because they see exactly what it does for the women and the women's lives who it transforms just to have a sense of ownership that they contributed to something much larger than themselves. Mm. There's also a high school involved in Queens. That's uh, John Bowne High School. They're a great agricultural program. They have five acres of farmlands that they have chickens and fish they do everything there and they also grow jalapeno peppers for us and then in the rockaways which was devastated by hurricane sandy there's cropping up urban farms there that are done youth advocacy programs and doing all sorts of great stuff there with food kitchens and farmers markets and it's just incredible to see from north queens to central queens to south queens everyone's kind of buying into the queen's hot sauce as well Oh, it's really, I mean, it's, it's, such a, it's such a good story. And then the dollars go back into these places as well. I mean, you know, for a lot of people, I know some people who are members of community gardens, and it's all volunteer, right? Yes. People are volunteering their time, and, and they get something out of it. Obviously, they're able to grow food. But I think if you, if you did it on pure dollars, like if you were completely looking at the dollars for what it costs you and your time and your own inputs to grow that food, you could probably buy conventional groceries cheaper. Um, mm. But the fact is you're growing it yourself and you're growing it for yourself. And then if you have a way to grow something like peppers that you can sell to the Bronx hot sauce, then you do get some economic benefit 
out of that, even if it's just offsetting the fact that you're able to grow your own collards or your own kale oh, or yes. your own tomatoes in your little plot of land. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's amazing. Um, so when when you expand to those other cities, is that something that the Bronx Hot Sauce will then say under your company do a Charlottesville? Uh, hot sauce or Charlotte, I think you said, not Charlottesville. Um, or is that someone there who would do that using your model? You know, we're very much in the early stages of this expansion, but we were thinking that um, what we want to kind of do is make, with King's awesome recipes, he's developing five more in the pipeline right now. We want to find ways to kind of source different peppers from different cities and make it under one kind of banner of some sort of... Oh, cool urban farm brand yeah so people think of what whether it be something like small axe peppers which is our uh, the name of our llc or something else that we have to come up with still we're kind of in the early stages like i said whatever it is it's finding a way to make people think when i buy this product i'm supporting local urban farmers and community gardeners and that's kind of what we want to make come across to people all over the country when we talk about local products that are affecting people in their community but also on a national scale. Yeah. And is there a, you know, is there a, a point at which, um, I guess, a farm is too big for you guys to consider working with them? I mean, I, I'm imagining, you know, New York is very specific in, the, in our lot size mm-hmm. that sort of limits those things. And I've been to, you know, I've been to some other places where I feel like some of the, the urban gardens feel more like small farms to me than they feel like urban gardens, which is sort of what I feel like we have here in New York. And I'm just wondering if that, that's a, is that a concern for you at all? Or it doesn't really matter as long as it's in an urban environment. Well, there's no urban place like New York for sure. <laughs> so if you're going to use New York as the standard, it's going to kind of get a little bit hairy in terms of sure. sheer density of things <laughs> right. like this. One advantage is that uh, we found as we were talking to some partner groups in different cities that people drive in other cities. So right. Whereas I have to spend most of my time in the summer running around between 40 urban gardens in the Bronx, picking up peppers, driving them to our kitchen, uh, making sure that they're pickled and preserved for the hot sauce cook. In these other cities, they might be able to drive to some sort of central collection point and ship it to us here. So there's definitely, you know, one thing that we've discovered is that urban farmers and community gardeners in general are really good people, right? No one's going to try and get over on yeah. on this type of thing, you know? <laughs> totally. I don't think that, I don't really anticipate that. So we always said we want it to be an augment for what the great work that they're already doing. Our worst fear would be one day a farm is 100% serrano peppers in the Bronx and they're not growing cucumbers and not growing tomatoes and not sure. growing any of the things that they use to cook for and eat themselves. But so far it's been, every, like we said, between 10 and 20%, no more than that, because we want people to continue doing the great work that they're already doing, and we right. don't want to turn it to a cash crop. Right. And so, although it is a cash crop, we don't want it to take it over <laughs> yeah. the great yeah, work yeah. that they're doing. Of so. course, of course. Um, and if, if people want to find the hot sauce, can they order it? And if someone's listening across the country, can they order it oh, online? Oh, yeah, yeah. You guys? Go to thebronxhotsauce.com, and they cool. get it online, and a bunch of stores every day we're getting you places carrying it for us. Yeah, there's a great map on your website mm-hmm. um, that shows where it's available. And we're expanding uh, every... We have a few distributors now uh, in the Northeast, which is great. One in uh, Oregon that we got after the winning the Good Food Awards. And if you buy it online, uh, after hearing this program, if you use the code HERITAGE, you can get free shipping. So uh, oh, that's, cool. that's a bonus for your listeners here as well. So. Awesome. That's great. From yours truly. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, Dan. Um, yeah, I mean, the, so you guys, you won a Good Food Award. 
Um, and, you know, the, the Good Food Awards, for those who don't know, I'm, I'm involved in it. I've been on the judging panels. I didn't judge Hot Sauce the year you guys won, um, but I do love your Hot Sauce. I'm really psyched that it won. Um, tell me a little bit about that experience. So, I mean, basically, you know, you won a Good Food Award. Um, what did that do for you or, you know, what was that like? Uh, it was great. You know, um, we were able to go out and meet other other people, you know, it's a, a great source of networking. We met a lot of people involved in food with the same passion we have and uh, distributors. We met a lot of distributors. We were kind of struggling at first, you know, looking for distributors. Uh, we got into Whole Foods, which took a, a while to get in there, but that was kind of our first big step. And then uh, winning the awards were great because uh, it just provided us with a whole bunch of more people who were into the same thing that we were doing. And it was also nice to get away from New York yeah. and spend some time in San Francisco <laughs> right. for a few days. <laughs> um, and have you guys submitted again this year? We did. Uh, we did for Queen 7. Unfortunately, uh, we got shot down. Uh, we, were, <laughs> we were high score, but uh, for some reason uh, this year it didn't work out, which is uh, interesting because King's being modest because the person who actually presented the award to him, he was on stage with, was Alice Waters, who's yeah. obviously one of the people at the forefront of this good food movement and uh, King actually worked in her restaurant back in the day so oh, nice. it was a nice moment that they were kind of on stage together and uh, it was really very cool to yeah, see very cool we're going to take a short break and hear from one of our sponsors here at Heritage Radio and when we come back uh, I want to move on to talking about some Filipino food this episode is brought to you by Castor and Pollux maker of America's number one organic pet food Organics you put a lot of care and thought into what you eat after all, you're a food radio listener. That thoughtfulness goes hand in paw with how you feed your pets. Purposeful pet food doesn't happen by accident. Castor and Pollock scours the earth to carefully select the best organic and responsibly sourced ingredients. New Pristine from Castor and Pollock is the only complete line of pet food made with ingredients that are responsibly raised, caught, or grown. Feed your dog or cat the new standard, like grass-fed beef, wild-caught fish, and vegetables grown without synthetic fertilizers or chemical pesticides. Pristine from Castor and Pollux. Purposeful pet food. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org pets. Welcome back to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum, and today in the studio, I'm really having a good time with King Fajana Kong and Dan Fitzgerald from the Bronx Hot Sauce. Um, King also is the uh, chef and owner of Kuma Inn at 113 Ludlow Street and has had a couple of other restaurants in New York um, focused on Filipino food. And King, I'd love to, to talk a little bit about that. I yeah. think that, uh, you know, in New York, I off, you know I always used to feel like we lived in a, a city where you could get all kinds of food, except when you can't, right? <laughs> so like, I mean, yes. you know, like it, it feels like you should be able to get everything in New York, but then there's these like missing pieces. And I feel like Filipino food was that for, for a while. It was, yeah, for quite a while, actually. Um, yeah, we opened Kuma Inn in uh, 2003, May 2003. And back then, I remember, I mean, besides Queens, you know, besides uh, Woodside, where they have a few doodle uh, doodle places, which are the like kind of buffet places where you just point, point. Uh, besides those, there were only, there was only one other restaurant in the city back then, uh, Cendrillon. Yeah. I don't know if you remember that place, yep. uh, Romy and Amy on uh, Mercer Street. And I actually, I spent some time there because... Uh, when I was going to culinary school, they 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 used to do um, like poetry readings and things like that over there. And my brother introduced me to Romy, so I started hanging out in their kitchen, and um, I trailed there for a little bit. And then we did a catering gig together, but um, that was the only place that was open. Yeah. 
And uh, so Kuma Inn, you know, when I did Kuma Inn, I had just gotten out of the kitchens of... Uh, actually, I was just coming from um, Chez Panisse. I was uh, spending some time there, looking into getting a job there. Uh, I had done the whole French thing here in the city. I was at... Um, uh, I was with uh, Boulet and Danielle, um, spent a few years there, um, Jean-Georges for a little bit, and then, uh, you know, I thought it was time to kind of do my own thing. I was at the grocery in Brooklyn, oh, yeah. you know, Charlie and Sharon. Yep. I was there for a while, I was a sous chef over there, and then uh, I moved out to Cali, and, um, you know, in the back of my head, while I was at the grocery, I was already ready, thinking about next steps, like, you know, I'd like to open up my own place, that was kind of my goal. Uh, and you know, uh, I, I think you know how it is. It's uh, most people do in the business. It's just tough finding that place, yeah. right? It's like that's one of the biggest struggles. So, uh, so that was kind of a tough thing. And that's when I went out to Cali and started uh, working in Chez Panisse. And then uh, a friend of mine um, called me and told me about this space on Ludlow Street. And back then, 2003, you know, Ludlow Street yeah. was still kind of shady. You know, I was going to say, yeah, it was a little, <laughs> yeah, a little different than like now. Uh, gunshots at night. Yep. And, yep. You know, very dark, and there was no foot traffic there. There were no tour buses, no hotels go in that area. Um, so it, it was a little tough. But uh, and the guy gave me like a deal. I you know I couldn't refuse. It was on the second floor. It was part of a sublease. Like the the guy just wanted the ground floor and basement. And I was like, wow, this is perfect. You know, I'll, I'll do it. And then and, and I did it. And uh, so when it was time to open my, my own place, I had a few ideas and what what I could do, what I could make. And I just really wanted to do something. I guess from the heart and something I grew up with, and that was Filipino food and kind of like Filipino, some Thai food in there because my dad's from Thailand, my mom's from the Philippines. They both cooked when I was growing up, and I just really wanted to do something that 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 what I was fully into, and not just uh, technically that I could cook, but also just from the heart. Yeah. And, do you uh, serve your mom's chicken adobo? I do. I do. It's That's called uh, Tita M's chicken wings, <laughs> chicken adobo <laughs> wings. Yeah. So I do. I, I I tweak the flavor just a little bit, yeah. but but it's it's mostly her recipe. Can you tell me about that recipe? Sure. So what go, what goes into a, a Filipino adobo? Sure, absolutely. Um, the main thing uh, to be to be considered an adobo, I guess it's it's a it's a braising method, a cooking method, but also you want to have three basic ingredients there, which are um, garlic, uh, garlic vinegar, and some type of salt, usually soy sauce or just salt. Uh, you know, this, it used to be just salt, but then that kind of got adapted to soy when from Chinese and Japanese influences in the country. So you'll, you'll see a lot of that in Filipino cooking. I guess what differentiates that from other Asian countries is there a lot of there's a lot of heavy Spanish influence from over the 300 right. years of colonization. There's some Chinese influence from the merchants, some Japanese influence from the war. Um, American influence from the war as well. Sure. Um, you know, we love spam. Right. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Vienna sausage, you know that kind of stuff. Uh, Campbell's mushroom mix, you know. Um, so you'll see the you'll and that's see those, all, those are the things that came over with the GIs. Right? Yes, I mean so in the liberation of the Philippines from the Japanese in World War II, that's the stuff that came over. And and there was is, I don't I actually don't even remember is there there's still American military bases? Uh, in the Philippines? No, no, they, okay. they they've closed recently. I mean Got the bases it. are still there, but they're yeah, not they're, they're not, not active. Upper, right, they're yeah. not active. But the Americans were sort of in residence. Oh yes, in yes. a very heavy military yes. way for quite a long time. For quite a long time, yes. Okay. Uh, so, you know, if, if you got a job on the base, like a lot of my friends got jobs on the bases, you got to shop on the base. And so you'd be, you know, you'd see all the Western influences right. of, of, you know, like American shampoo, I don't yeah. know, Johnson Johnson <laughs> shampoo and, and the soap and the Colgate toothpaste. And it's made in the USA. It's not from the Philippines, right. you know. Um, 
but but yeah, so that was that was kind of a but and I I lost track of the adobo. But, sorry, sorry, sorry. No, but it's uh, soy vinegar and garlic, and then usually it's a uh, chicken or pork. So my mom, uh, you know, traditionally at home you'll like take a whole chicken, cut it up, uh, braise it in soy vinegar and garlic. Sometimes you throw in a little more pork, some pork in there for more flavor. Uh, you braise it, and and the the cool thing about adobo is that you don't unlike other braises or European style braises, you don't you don't sear the meat first. You um, you braise it first, and 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 then you sear it at the end. Mm. And this is because I, I found out as as uh, since the Philippines is composed of over seven thousand islands, uh, the sea travelers back in the day, you know, no refrigeration or anything. Adobo was one of the most popular dishes because of the high acidity level. Sure. So nothing could grow in there. Right. And and also when they cooked it, you know, when you when you cook something with the high fat, like the chicken skin and pork, uh, the fat rises to the top. And they would leave that layer there. Oh. That was like an extra layer of protection. Sure. Yeah. And then nothing could grow inside. Yep. You'd have to go through that layer first. And then once you get in there, there's so much acid in there that yep. nothing could really grow. So it could sit there for days unrefrigerated. Yeah. And I know this because we used to take road trips when I was a kid. <laughs> and that, was, that was like a number one uh, road trip food, you know? Just a... Pack, a, pot, a, a, pot a pot of a double, yeah, that my mom cooked like the night before, and it was and like in the back of the car, and like, okay, amazing. let's pull over, like, eat, you know. Oh, wow. So, but, so what they did was they would take the fat off the top and then uh, heat that fat up and then take the meat out of there, and that's what they would they oh, wow. warm the meat that's up in there and yeah. sear it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then throw in that the braising liquid, and that became the sauce reduced down, and then yeah. you had your adobo. And now it's it's a staple. I mean, it's, you know, a lot of people consider it like the national dish of the Philippines. Right. Um, it's something I ate growing up. At least once a week, my mom would make it, and now I make it for my kids. You know, yeah. I have a play on it in my in my book, Vinegar Revival. Oh, okay. But it's a whole chicken that you basically marinate in the vinegar with the soy sauce and the garlic, and then you roast it. Oh, okay. So yeah, it's a yeah. roast chicken version. It's not traditional yeah. in that way, but it's the same flavor profile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that and, and it's great. It, it works together. You know, it's it's a very, it's a it's a simple. Um, Simple yeah. ingredients, right? Three three yep. things, but I mean, you you put them together in the right way, it's uh, it's really an amazing flavor. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that's that was one of the dishes we had from the beginning, and and we've done variations of it at the restaurant. Like you were saying, we we do one with a with a pork belly. So instead of um, instead of frying it at the end, we grill it. So that's oh, another nice. variation. Uh, we do one with a pulled pork adobo. We take the shoulder. And braise it a double style, and then pull it, and then stuff it in like a like a rice bun, like a bao. Oh, cool. Yeah. So just just different things. Sometimes you've got me totally squid. thinking about road trips now. Yeah. I, I do. I do a lot of. We do a lot of driving in our family, and like we did. We. I mean, yes. Just yesterday, we came back from Massachusetts. We were in Rhode Island and Massachusetts for the holiday. Go to Maine sometimes. This past summer, I did a book tour with my. But it was like family road trip too. Oh yeah. So we drove like five thousand miles, and I'm just thinking, man, it would have been so good to have a pot of adobo. Oh, right. yeah. way better than a bologna sandwich for sure. <laughs> totally. Your kids will love it. Yeah. And we we do that a lot, where we'll like pull off the side of the road, and we'll pull out like we have a little camp stove. We'll pull out the stove and like cook some, you know, make grilled cheese for lunch or whatever, yeah. or soup or whatever. But next, next year, <laughs> next, next road trip, I'm taking a pot of adobo with Yeah. Me. Yeah. That's great. Kids really, they love that stuff. Yeah. yeah totally do it. Um, so, you know, you grew up in New York city. Mm-hmm. Were Filipino ingredients hard to get? Like you went to the Philippines almost every summer. Did you yes. like, did you bring stuff back every year? Uh, there was a couple of years we brought contraband back, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it only lasts for so long. Yeah. Um, I mean, the good thing growing up, we used to go to Chinatown almost every Sunday, 
and uh, so we could get fresh vegetables there. They they had most of the stuff we needed. Um, right. Yeah, I mean the Chinese the Chinese markets in New York City are old enough. Yeah, and I only found out relatively recently that there's a whole like bunch of Chinese owned farms in New Jersey that supply Southeast Asian vegetables to Chinatown only. Like they yes. don't supply to anybody else. So that I mean I actually didn't know about that, which is awesome. Yeah, the uh, the bok choy and the different types of exactly. the, the, the long beans bok choy and stuff. And yeah. Beans. Um, yeah, so so we used to make a trip down to uh, Chinatown on the weekends and and pick up a lot of stuff. And then over the, over the years, you know, I mean, it, it's great. I mean, now I walk into a supermarket and I'll see fish sauce and like yeah. a regular supermarket, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is amazing. But yes, you know, when I was young, yeah, it, it was it was tough getting that stuff, but you would always find it in Chinatown. And, and luckily in New York City, I mean, we have a great Chinatown here. Totally. Um, is are there any dishes from those childhood visits? to the Philippines that you have either recreated or like dream about recreating but haven't been able to? Oh, sure. I mean, most of them we've, at least we've tried recreating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if they're <laughs> successful, but um, I, I mean, a big one that comes to mind is, uh, you know, whenever we have a celebration is, is of course, like a whole roasted pig, a, a lechon. And uh, growing up, I mean, uh, like every birthday party, that's, you know, you'd have a lechon there. And uh, it's it's a little tough because we don't we can't grill it outdoors here, you know, for the restaurant spaces. Yeah. But we 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 uh, recreate it in the kitchen when we can. Um, I mean, one of my first I guess experiences when I was out of uh, culinary school, I, I went to CIA and graduated I guess in the late '90s, and I went back to the Philippines right after graduation. And uh, you know, my cousins they they all knew I went to culinary school. And oh, what do you want to do? Like, what do you want to eat? Where do you want to go? And uh, and it was my nephew's uh, first birthday party. And they said, well, you think about it, but then tonight we have to go to a farm and pick out a pig and we're going to roast it tomorrow. I'm like, oh, that's great. Let's, let's start with that. And then, uh, then so we brought the pig back and the next morning it, it was in this empty lot. And they're like, well, you're the chef now. You just graduated. <laughs> they, they put the knife in my hand. They're like, go for it. I was like, oh. Um, but uh, it was an amazing experience. It was a little tough at first. Um, you know, when they say it squeals like a pig, and that's where that comes from. Because before I even came close to it, they, they were just like, ah. yeah. And that sound stayed with me for about a week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, they, you do it old school there, like just, you know, headlock and like right into the jugular. Yeah. Uh, so as it's uh, as it's breathing or the heart is pumping, we're collecting the blood in a pot. And we make a stew out of that. Like yeah. we use every single part of the yeah. pig there. I mean that I think you know even though we we now are in this moment where people have a great respect for farmers and a great respect for the ingredients and really want to be able to use every part. Um, you know, even but still that I mean blood in this country is like nearly impossible. You can't get it because no. the slaughterhouses don't save it. Um, you know because it's too complicated for them to do it in a way that is safe, safe or right. clean enough and and in this country still like we don't get awful in the same way as no. in other countries you're not getting intestine you're not getting lungs you know yeah but uh but yeah so everything is used there and um so besides the butchering part i don't i don't do that here yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or not even butchering the killing yeah, part yeah you know? i'll no break slaughter. it down here yeah but I, I don't get to slaughter it myself but we we, we recreate parts of the pig and, and uh, cook them at the restaurant um, you know, I, I just went to the Philippines, uh, I guess, what was it? Three months ago. And, and just what amazes me all the time is when I go back is the, um, the chicken. They have, they have this place, uh, I was telling Mike Turkel about this the other day, uh, this roast chicken that we do, it's called a uh, chicken in a sal. It's really, really simple. It's just a roast chicken with, um, a little bit of uh, garlic, uh, fish sauce, 
uh, pepper and uh, achuete oil. That that the red achuete, the, yeah. the the red um the red spice, and then uh, you just kind of marinate it and and roast it. It's really simple. And I've tried to create it so many times at the restaurant, the same exact ingredients, and, and it's not the same. And, and it's just, it's just like I guess like wine or anything that else, anything else that grows off the ground or from the ground. Um, the terroir, you know, the climate, the chickens are just raised on different things, and you know, uh, it, it's just a whole totally different climate. I mean, o- over there, when you go to the market in the morning in, in small provinces, those animals that you buy there are just hanging, and they were slaughtered that morning. Right. You know, it's not like here. Even if you go organic and fresh air, yeah. it's 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 just not the same thing. The chicken there, like the breast of the chicken fits in the palm of your hand. You know, it's not like you don't need like two hands right. to carry like a breast of chicken. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and, and it tastes like chicken. You know, it's yep. it, it, it's not like a hard piece of leather. It's yeah. it's like a soft, juicy chicken. Yeah. So that, that's that's kind of one of the obstacles I've run into where I, I can't recreate it. But we try to come close. Cool. Um, well, I thank you both for, for being on Feast Your Ears today. It's been really awesome. Um, do you guys have any, are there any events coming up at Kuma Inn or anything happening with Bronx Hot Sauce that you guys want to make sure to mention? Uh, well, Kuma Inn, we're, uh, we're, we're trying to book parties now and, and catering. So if you do Great. want a whole Holiday roasted party. pig, yeah, yeah. We, we do uh, whole roasted pigs for uh, outside catering if anybody's interested. Awesome. Give us a ring, shoot us an email. Cool, yeah, people should check out kumain.com. It's K U M A. Inn.com and Bronx Hot Sauce. We have uh, three or four events throughout the course of the year uh, coming up. I don't think that we have any on the horizon. We always do a Kentucky Derby party in May to kind of kick off the harvest or kick off the planting season. And then we have a harvest festival as well. The last few years we've done a beer with the Bronx Brewery that uses some of our Serrano peppers in their IPAs and it's super spicy and delicious so just join our mailing list and we'll keep you informed of any fun events you know we don't try and spam you we just want to make sure that we invite you (laughs) to fun events that you know around town with hot sauce and Filipino food and we had a Leishan at one party as well that kinged it up so it was awesome so it's a lot of fun excellent well thank you guys again thanks so much Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Uh, Harry. I want to make sure to mention that uh, next week is our Heritage Radio Network fundraiser. It is going to be called Winter in the Garden and will be taking place at the Brooklyn Botanic Garden. You can visit heritageradionetwork.org slash holiday to purchase tickets. It's going to be awesome. I'll I'll be there. Lots of the hosts will be there. There'll be good drink, good food. Um, I'm going to be doing a live a la minute uh, lamb tartare with Lena Diaz, who's the head butcher at Green Grape Provisions. So you definitely want to come and check that out. She'll be butchering the lamb. I'll be grinding it, and then we'll be mixing it up and serving it fresh right in front of you. Uh, and if you can't make it to that, I encourage you to visit heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Uh, become a member of Heritage Radio Network. You get cool stuff. You get T-shirts. You get to... You know, if you come to New York, we get to come hang out in the studio. You can come visit the hosts. Uh, you can visit David, who engineers the show, and ask him questions about where he gets all the great sound effects he uses and things like that. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, please do, you know, if you are listening to this show, please do think about becoming a member. Heritage Radio Network is a not-for-profit. Um, we produce more than 35 shows every week in this studio, and we couldn't do it without your help. So uh, thanks, everyone, for listening to Feast Your Ears. You can find Feast Your Ears as well as lots of other great shows at heritageradionetwork.org and on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please take a moment to like the show on iTunes, and you can reach out to me if you have any questions, harry at thebrooklynkitchen.com. You can follow me on social media at thefoodballer, and I forgot to mention you can follow King on social media at kumain underscore uminam. Thanks, everyone. Talk to you next week. 
for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.